Hello and welcome to the Daily News, everybody. I think this is the first podcast I've done in like a week and a half. DT couldn't oh. get he couldn't get together with me last week, and I have all these things that I wanted to do solo podcasts on, and I was like, just didn't feel right. I didn't have the time. I'm lisping like a mother bleeper. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> hey, start- consistency is the king, my friend. Consistency I know, is I king. It was funny the first time that I went on a Zoom with uh, Paul Appleby from the Red Blacks to try and get ready for a game back in like week four was right when I had got these Invisalign in, which if you listened to last week's show, you know that I got them in. And uh, and he was like, whoa. <laughs> he was like, what's going on? I went on a Zoom with him today because I have the Red Blacks Ticats game this week. He didn't even mention it. It was because it's people just get used to you being like, hi, guys, how are you? Yeah, now you have a permanent list. Until you start calling the game, you're going to forget how to talk without those things in. Dude, it, it's funny. Like, I... I actually took out the trays, okay, on the drive home from somewhere the other night, and I just decided I need to try talking without these because I have them in for 22 hours a day. So yeah, it actually got into my head a little bit, and I put on City in Color uh, on the old Spotify shuffle, just crushed it, screaming, windows down, beautiful night, the sun was setting, I was like enunciating every lyric that was in a city, I think it was two coins that was playing from City and Color, which is a fantastic song, but anyways. Let me let let you in on a little secret, I had Invisalign before, yeah, and I'll tell you what, you don't realize how much you eat until you have that in, because I realized what I eat, like, I eat probably every... 15 to 20 minutes i'll eat yeah. something every 15 to 20 minutes and it's like you're constantly taking them out putting them back i was like this is ridiculous there's no way i'm hitting 22 hours out of the day like i'm so, like maybe 15 here's the thing i i'm totally with you i didn't realize how much i ate until i put them in but then i realized oh this is just like a really poorly marketed weight loss product because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because my thinking was like Oh, I'll, I'll take them out and pop them in, take them out pop them in. And I was like, no, because I have to brush every time before I put them back in. And I'm not doing that eight times a day, which I usually eat like once every hour, two hours, kind of thing like chop, chop, like yogurt with granola. And then I'll have an apple and then I'll have like my normal lunch, uh, lunch, which is like a, a salad with something. And then it's just like, even if I'm having like pre-workout or something, something to have during my workout, it's like, no, because all you can have is water and unflavored water. You can't have colored water because it'll stain your trays. And so it's a mess. So I literally just have like stopped eating in proper ways and I've had to adjust my eating schedule. So it's like, (laughs) I will prep all of my food. And the second I pop them out, I'll maximize my time with them out by just eating right away. It's yeah. The whole thing. So I agree. Functional with you, eating at this point. I know. Uh, anyways, let's give a shout out to our good friends over at Fox 40. Master your game plan. Fox 40 coaching boards. Uh, choose from a range of clipboards and carry boards to help with your sideline needs. Visit fox40shop.com. Shop coaching boards and more. Take 15% off your entire order with the code CFP15. Use that promo code to get yourself 15% off of your order. Always great uh, to have Fox 40 be along with us here on the ride on CFP. We are recording this about middle of the first quarter uh, between mm-hmm. Edmonton and Montreal Thursday night football is going on as we speak. Uh, was and it I six, nothing. I think I looked to his last. Yeah. Just very early on. It was uh yeah. Beatty that gets into the ends on the running back for Edmonton, but I did have to laugh because uh, <laughs> one of the, in my opinion, BS excuses that Danny Machocha gave for, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be the head coach uh, was, Hey, did- but, but let's go. Did we, we all knew this was happening. hundred percent. The entire, yeah, okay. this is, I think this is, everybody in the world knew this was happening. It, yeah. Like, and it's, that was one of the things I wanted to put. I said last week on the breakdown that I wanted to put out a podcast just called premeditated murder, 
because <laughs> right. that's what it was. Like everybody knew when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, who was going to happen knew it to. too. Yeah. yeah. You had to, you had to know Cavus knew it. Like a hundred percent. It's, it's what, well, it's the whole game plan was the whole way through. And it was just the first sign of something going wrong. Yeah. It's okay. We'll flip it over and I'll be that coach. Yeah. And so, and, and even like, you know, Glenn Suter, during the first quarter here, he's like, to anybody who thinks that Danny Machocha just wanted to be a head coach again, it's just not true. And I'm like, then why is he the head coach right now? Because if you don't want to be the head coach next year, which Dave Naylor has reported explicitly, he's that apparently Danny Machocha has no interest in being the head coach next year. He just thought that he was the voice that needed to calm the room so they could move forward in this season. I'm like, well, if you don't want to be the coach moving forward, you're just shooting yourself in the foot by being the coach now because you're not allowing the coach that already has a connection with that room to be the coach. And you're not putting somebody in place to build a connection with that room to help you going into next season. Well, so this is kind of, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a buddy club, right? So wherever, wherever these coaches go, wherever these GMs go, whatever it might be, they have trust. It's a big loyalty business, right? This coaching world, the management world. So all it is, is, yeah, Cavus is a good coach, but Machocha's like, listen, even if he's not going to coach next year, because who knows? At this point, we don't know. Or right? Kahari, you mean? Uh, sorry, Kahari. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Cavus. Yeah, not Cavus. Oh, I was just thinking Cavus because he was in Montreal. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And well, Kahari. <laughs> and so as soon as Machocha gets in there, he might not coach next year, but he's hiring his buddies all back. Yeah. Noel Thorpe is the first guy they bring back oh, in, right? And you had me. to know Thorpe Thorpe was on the phone probably at the in the off season and Machocha's like, hey, at some point you're coming in as the DC. That's what we're going to do. And now whoever he's got on the phone for the next head coach, whether it's him or one of his buddies, that's what's going to happen. So it might not be him, but he might get one of his buddies in there and it will be one of those kind of things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know that we've talked about this previously, and this is just me like spinning an unnecessary conspiracy theory, but Jeff Reinbold didn't show up for work after he signed to be with them. And a lot of that is just Jeff's in Hawaii, and he has his own lifestyle, and he wants to do what he wants to do, and he re-upped with television in the UK, and whatever, it's fine. But I do wonder if there was a part of Jeff that's, that read the room as somebody who's been around a lot of different organizations and sent a lot of different power dynamics. He might have gotten there, signed on, been like, cool, I'm in. And then kind of got wind from people around the league of like oh this is probably just going to be machocha coaching at some point he's like yeah you know what hawaii sounds good (laughs) i think it was a little bit more than that because don't forget when jeff was in hamilton and ended up was being the dc Mm -hmm. right with the management that was there he ended up getting fired as the dc halfway through that year now it was a disaster of a year anyway i think that was the 60 to 1 loss in calgary and it was a mess of a year. That's when June Jones came in halfway through the season. Right. Yeah. It was 2018. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or 17 but, was when it was 0 and 8 and 60 to 1. And yeah. So that was 2017 was the disaster. And then 2018 was Jeremiah and Speedy's crazy good year. Yeah. Right. When June had it the whole year. But right. don't forget. So then the management that fires Jeff, he ends up coming back as mm-hmm. a special teams coach because of Orlando. June. Oh, yeah. True. Because right, of. And he was like, you know what? I, I like where this is going. So. I believe that Jeff and Kahari, probably what he saw in Kahari, I, I'm sure that's why Jeff signed on initially. Now, what happened from there, I honestly can't say. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I do not know. I've, I've heard certain rumors, but that's all they are at this point is rumors. Yep. But it, who knows? Who knows? But I believe that with Kahari there, Jeff would have been like, you know what? I don't care who's above here. I don't care if it's Danny Machocha. I don't care if I like him or don't. 
I like where Kari's going. I like what the what's going on. So I think it was something outside of that, but maybe. I mean, shoot, you never know. <laughs> yeah, it's it, trying to connect the dots is tough when there's so many different layers to this stuff, and you don't know who's really closest friends with who, and you know who who wants to screw somebody else over. It's. I will say that in the year 2022, taking a black coach in a league that is proud of its diversity at various points, we can get into that with the Jeremiah Masoli hit. And the idea that like Baron Miles gets gassed, Kahari Jones gets gassed, and in comes Machocha and Noel Thorpe. I was just like, I'm not playing the race card on this one. There aren't a lot of people out there who have been. I don't think it's because of race. That's not what I'm saying. But it was just like, it's just unfortunate for diversity in a league that it, like Orlando is a shining pillar of a diverse coach who is doing an amazing job of carrying the flag and showing like, hey, diversity is strength because I'm really freaking good at my job, regardless of what the record shows at this point. Because Hamilton says we talked about with Luke Tasker last week, had a bunch of weird bounces and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I, Kahari is not going to be able to work for very long. I'm actually, no. sh- I'm shocked he hasn't been hired as an offensive consultant, a coordinator or something for a team because he's just, he's really good at what he does. And he understands this league more than a lot of the retreads that have come from different eras or different generations. But it's, and I'll, it, yeah. man, I'll tell you what, the hardest thing to do is to get the, the trust of a room of yes. a professional athlete room because i'll tell you every single pro out there thinks they know better than the coach that's there than the gm they know how to run things better when you get a coach that can come in there control a room control a culture control an atmosphere and get these pro guys these adults at this point for the most part to follow you to you know be excited to be on that team and i mean when we have you know when va was on here and he's talking about kahari and just in any interview ever about kahari it's he's awesome he's such a good culture fit he really helps everybody out it's like it's well, like, this is what bothered me, it's Mike. So, it's so upsetting. You know yeah. what I mean? This is what, this honestly, this is what pissed me off. And like, I got to call Montreal, Ottawa next week and I'll be on a Zoom call with Danny Machocha. And it's like, whatever, that's my job. I don't care. This is what pissed me off about this whole thing is that when we all see it coming from a billion miles away yeah, and we know that Kahari is a talented coach, the hell we doing? Like, <laughs> what? what is the point? Like when we know he's a good coach, when we know that he deserves more time to figure this out, what are we doing? And it just, it bothered me in that sense, but it also bothered me in the idea that like, I'm, I'm looking at Montreal and the reasons that were given Mike Machocha's press conference when he came out via zoom was, you know, I just thought a room, the room needed a change to be made and we needed some motivation. And then he's just like started spouting things where he's like, you know, the discipline was really bad. And I'm wondering why players aren't being taken off the field, which I think was just Michael Wakefield who ended up getting ejected for two uh, misconduct penalties against Saskatchewan in week five, but he's like, or week four, he's like, you know, we, we, I wish we had more discipline in this. The first play on special teams tonight in this Thursday night football game against Edmonton, there's a holding call against Montreal. The next return which is the second time they've touched the ball, Regis Sibasu takes a holding penalty for Montreal. Like they, they had touched the ball on four plays because it was kick return, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, punt. Edmonton goes down and scores. And then Montreal gets the ball back on a kick return. Two of the four plays that they had were holding calls. And I'm not saying like, you know, I, <laughs> I almost tweeted out, but I thought I would just leave it here for the listening audience because I love you guys. Uh, the idea that like... Half the time that Montreal has touched the ball with Danny Machocha as the head coach, they've taken a penalty. This team's out of control. you got to get rid of this head coach. I mean, they, <laughs> they got discipline issues. It is bad. And I'm being sarcastic, obviously, but yeah. that's the type of 
thing that drives me nuts is like, you know, talking to Rolando Steinauer in the Zooms today ahead of the, the Ottawa Hamilton game. And I was talking with him about the offense and he said, listen, Tony Condell's really damn good at his job. Our mm-hmm. offense is struggling. There's been some bad bounces. We've had some turnovers. Our first down production is not good enough. The run pass bounce is off, but it's because of game plan stuff, not because we're not trying to run the ball. And it's like, there are reasons for these things, but Tommy knows what he's doing and I have great faith in him. And he says, when things are going good, coaches get way too much praise. When things are going poorly, we get killed. And yeah. it's the same idea, I think, with Kahari. As I'm looking at this and it's like, you know, they, they take a couple of penalties. Was that really on the coach? Like how much as a coach can you actually influence? It's almost like in baseball when you talk about a manager and like, you know, my, my team's committing too many unforced errors. I'm a, I'm a 70-year-old dude wearing a baseball uniform standing in a dugout. The hell am I supposed to do to fix our errors? We're an error-prone team because we've, we haven't scouted properly and we've decided to pay a bunch of players that can't get the ball from shortstop to first base. It's like, I don't know why we kill coaches for certain. If you're mismanaging your timeouts, if you're challenging something that's obviously not going to get overturned, like, yeah, that's a direct impact on the game where a coach is wasting his ability to influence. But other I think, than, make, I other, think other than making coaches, you guys... Though. But other than making you guys like run wind sprints, how do you how do you change the discipline of a team? Because that was given as a legit reason for why Kahari Jones is no longer the head coach of Montreal. And I'm like, how do you blame that on him? I think I think as a coach, especially if you're going to look at a head coach, from the ones I've seen that are just strictly head coach, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're a head coach and offensive coordinator, well, then it's you know you're more so the offensive coordinator with okay, let's get practice rolling properly, right? But if you're like a head coach. And you're focused on, okay, how are we going to get this team into a certain direction? That takes time every single year. It's like, it's like trying to teach your kid not to stick something in, uh, you know, in an outlet. (laughs) It's like the first time you say, Hey, don't stick, don't stick that knife in the outlet. They're going to look at you, stick it back into the outlet. But after a while you keep hitting it, you keep hitting it, you keep hitting it, hit the high points. Hits what's hit what most important, make sure you keep reiterating that stuff that comes out as the season goes down. And then once the playoffs starts happening, so it's so hard to tell every single year. Cause realistically, you said it perfectly. The head coach can say, Hey guys, we can't take penalties, mm-hmm. but I go out there and I decide to spin a guy around because, you know, I don't want him to make a play. Cause I'm trying, I don't want my guy to make the tackle. Well, that's on me. I know you could say, Hey, didn't you listen to coach? Oh, say, don't take a penalty. I said, yeah, I just, oops. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what it is. So, but that's the nature of the business, man. Yes. If it's yes. not going well, the first one out is the head coach, especially if it's not the GMs or, or any sort of upper management's guy, mm-hmm. right? And you hear this all the time, my guy, the guys. And if it's not your guy, and as soon as there's any sort of sign of, oh, this isn't working, first guy gone is head coach. And then the next guy gone is the guy that's closest to the head coach. <laughs> And that's just how it goes, right? And, and Coach O's is right. Oh, Coach O's is right. They get too much praise when they're doing well because it's on the players, and they get too much hate when it's not going well because it's on the players. They just – it's a culture thing. They just got to reiterate what's good, what's bad, what to keep doing, and that really only pans out as you go on in the season. I, uh, I will – it's well said by you. I will mention that the, there was one funny moment in the Zoom, which, like all of this stuff is – off the record but some of these funny little notes i don't think oh would be offended by me saying like hey he said this i asked him about the idea that not running the football well enough or enough in general not enough attempts has been a point of contention for some Ticats fans this year and he said well when we were in a game against saskatchewan they've got you know a million sacks against guys so we're just trying to get the ball up quickly 
we're playing against Calgary and based on our scouting report, we thought, well, we, we should spread them out. So we went empty a little bit more. And so he's like, so that's two of our four games where we have a game plan that says we're not going to put it back in the backfield and just run it right at you because it just doesn't make sense based on what we've seen on film. But fans don't necessarily break down film. Fans go to the game and they, they just see what they see and they get angry when you're like, hey, why aren't we running the ball? Well, because you're going to run it into the pile for a gain of two and have second and eight. What the, what the hell's <laughs> right. the point? And right. so, and again, the coaching staff can be wrong. They're human, but the fans can be wrong. They're human. That's the nature of this whole kind of interaction. But I mentioned that to... 2-0 today I said you know kind of reminds me of Kent Austin when CJ Gable was around and always the conversation was why are we running the ball more what we got CJ yeah. Gable CJ Gable yeah, should be yeah, getting yeah. 35 touches a game it was like this is the CFL man that's probably not how that's going to go down but I remember covering the team on radio and that was always a discussion point was why isn't CJ getting the ball more and O just kind of paused and goes well I'll say this uh you know when we're 15 and 3 I had people telling us all the different ways that we were broken and we right. were, and we were, and we were bad and that we weren't doing things correctly. It doesn't matter if we're three and 15 or 15 and three, you guys are going to find something we ain't doing. right. <laughs> you know what? He said that, said that the one time in a team meeting too, and it was hilarious. He goes, Hey, listen, no matter what position you are in the, in the league standings, whatever, somebody at the bar, is going to have a game plan or a play that is better than the ones that you've drawn up. And, but I mean, I will say one thing though, Toronto might try to do that. Give the ball to Andrew Harris 35 times. Dude, like time. I, I got to give you this stat. I was looking through, cause I was uh, chipping away at some prep for the game this weekend. And I was going through Toronto's running plays so far this year okay these are called running plays excluding sneaks because oh also weird toronto only has three sneaks on the year and i understand they've only played in three games because they had week one by and then the bye before they had touchdown atlantic here on saturday but they've only they've only played three games but they they've had one sneak from mcleod bethel thompson which he converted and then two sneaks from austin simmons which was in bc on the goal line in the first quarter when they got stuffed both times and then didn't end up scoring a touchdown there and got the field goal. Oh, so that was their only Maybe that's points. why. Right? <laughs> that's uh, a, oh, so, out of the playbook. But in terms of rushing plays for the Toronto Argonauts this year, to your point, I just thought this was interesting. Their rookie draft pick, Daniel Adebayo, has three carries, okay, the entire year on called running plays. Speedy B has one jet sweep, and Andrew Harris accounts for the other... 47 rushing attempts that they have called so far this year. It's three for the rookie, one jet sweep to speedy, 47 rushing attempts that have been called for Andrew Harris. But what a what a change of pace, eh? Like yeah. it really goes to show. Like I've always thought, you know, running backs are running back. It really depends on the O-line and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, maybe Toronto is a good O-line too, but Winnipeg's usually known for having such a good O-line, right? The way Andrew Harris was running. And you could see it on film. The O-line was awesome. Um but for him to come into Toronto and absolutely take over that game, like, and then, okay, then you look at that game and you say, how the hell did Toronto lose this football game? If you were just to against do the Against Winnipeg box, you're talking about? Against Winnipeg, yeah. yeah. Okay. If you look at that game against Winnipeg, yeah. where Andrew Harris ran for, I don't know, 110, 120, yeah. right? They threw for like a, a close to 300, maybe over 300 yards. Like they had their yards were way above Winnipeg's, but it was just the costly turnovers, right? The one that McLeod Bethel Thompson just threw up. I think he's trying to get out of bounds and ended up just keeping it at bounds um, to Nick Taylor, I believe it was. Yeah. 
and then the one right on the goal line. And Winnipeg finds a way to win. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, even with those type of games, that's when you really know, like inside Winnipeg's locker room, that's when they're like, oh yeah, this is easy. Cause we can win those games. We can win a game where we suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where we play horribly, they outplay us. We just figure it out at the end and, and are able to make some plays. I was putting together the, uh, the cause I'm doing a piece for sports center that should be out on Monday. I think that's about kind of like offensive efficiency and how teams are having success. Is it through the pass? Is it through the run first down, second down, that kind of thing. And I was expecting Winnipeg's running game because I'm so used to them being like the most efficient in the top of the league and the most carries and all. And it was like, the numbers were kind of gross. Like they were like sixth in rushing here. And like Zach is, his numbers aren't great, but when they need it on second down and in the score zone, he's absolute money. And that's where you're like, yeah, to your point, we don't have to play great all the time. We just have like clutch guys that know how to win football games and when they have to play at their very best. And they always seem to. The other thing that I thought was really freaky, Mike, that this probably won't play all that well on, on podcast because it's kind of a visual thing. But sometimes when I'm bored and usually these days, Twitter just kind of bores me. So I'll just flip open <laughs> the uh, I'll flip open the CFL stats page and I'll just start like flipping through numbers and seeing what actually jumps out to me and stuff. And this one I thought was kind of amazing. Uh, it's Dalton Schoen, uh, who's jumped off the page as it stands right now for, uh, for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Greg Ellingson, and how similar their numbers are. So you have 28 targets for Greg Ellingson going into this big game on Friday night against Calgary. Dalton Schoen has 29. So Dalton Schoen has one more. Dalton Schoen has 21 catches. Greg Ellingson has 23 catches. So Ellingson has two more catches on one last target, 366 yards for Greg Ellingson, 333 yards for Dalton Schoen, uh, long catch of 66 for Ellingson, long catch of 70 for Schoen, 15.9 yard catch average for Dalton Schoen, 15.9 yard catch average for Greg Ellingson. <laughs> like it's stupid. They're the same person right now. Three touchdowns for Schoen, three touchdowns for Ellingson, Two plays of over 30 for Ellingson, three plays of over 30 for Dalton now, Schoen. They've now, somehow, this is post-BC game though, right? Yes, but this is also like, this is updated to this very moment, but what I'm saying is you lose Kenny Lawler in Winnipeg, yeah. and you're like, oh man, you know, he took a bunch of money. At, well, hopefully we find an answer. I thought Rasheed Bailey was going to go crazy. Turns out they just got this dude Dalton Schoen. They're like, hey, Greg Ellingson clone, and we're fixed. Well, but give credit to Zach with that too. Like, I, I mean, that BC game, that BC game, Zach decided, you know what? I'm going to yeah. show everybody why I'm the best in the world. Like he, he was lights out. He would yeah. hit, I mean, he was dropping it in buckets all over the place. It was, it, it was bad really. Like they made BC look not very good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but the thing is, is, yeah, you're right with, it's always this weird balance of trying to pay guys right? Try to pay a lot of money for top guys. I think there's certain positions that you can see just break a game open, right? Like, I think when you look at a guy like Jaguar Davis, you know what I mean? Who I played with, that's why it's easy for me to say his name. But when he was out there, that's a guy you pay because he is an absolute difference maker, right? A Willie Jefferson, mm -hmm. right? Jeff Coat, same kind of thing. A Mike Rose right now with Calgary, those type of guys, they can destroy an offense, right? A receiver, yeah, I would think that a top receiver guy, but the problem is, is you can find so many guys that are coming out that are receivers that are highly, you know, highly skilled, all that kind of stuff, but it all 
goes down to the quarterback, hmm. right? Like look at Edmonton. Edmonton's receiving core is loaded. Yep. And right? they were like, last year as well. Exactly. Man, exactly. And it just comes down to like now Cornelius is playing and we'll see how he is with another year. But based on Trey the first quarter, out, he's still Taylor Cornelius based on what I saw. <laughs> and that's what I mean. So these receivers, they can get open, but if you're not throwing it on time, you're not feeling comfortable, you're not, you don't have confidence. It does not matter how much you pay these receivers. Use a whole cap on these receivers. If there's not a guy that's throwing the ball to you, it doesn't matter. Right. And that's where that's where the shown thing comes in because it's like, okay, Zach is playing lights out. He's putting the ball in the right spot. These guys just got to run the route, give a little bit of shake to get open, but Zach's gonna find you. Yeah. And yeah. that's the difference between when you look at the Edmonton and then the the Winnipeg type thing, right? Um, I want to get your opinion here on the uh, Masoli uh, stuff just for a second because it is it's a tricky dance between players association when you are defending guy who made a dirtbag hit that has a history that is really greasy and the guy that you're defending him against is one of your star players is a quarterback is a franchise player for one of the nine teams in this league and I I've been thinking a ton about this I've been talking a lot with Dwayne Ford about this I I've told Dwayne on our game Ottawa Hamilton Saturday afternoon after touchdown Atlantic we are going to find a time where I am going to clear out of the paint and go ISO, ISO here, Dwayne Ford, here's the ball. And I'm going to go stand in the corner and I want to just give him 90 seconds to say whatever he has to say. Cause Dwayne is, he might not show it on television. Dwayne is a passionate dude who cares about doing things the right way in sport, not just in our game in sport. He loves sport and he, he really wants to get, I think some some points out that I think people need to hear come out of Dwayne Ford in this game. So it's we've been talking about it a lot, how we want to handle it, the right approach, all the rest. But the, the simplest way that I can picture or break this down without stepping on any of Dwayne's points, which I want people to hear from him, not from me. I don't want to bear, borrow his thoughts, is that when you're in the Players Association, from my perspective, it's really easy when you're going through bargaining and it's good guy versus bad guy good guy yeah. is all of us band together we are in this together let's get after it together we are the players we are going to strike if we need to in order to stay strong together because we're going up against the big bad empire which is the ownership all of a sudden you get into the season the good guy and the bad guy are both inside the players association and they're both playing paying union dues and yeah now the question becomes and this is why i want to ask you as a player because you understand this dynamic better what is the responsibility of the players association and what role do they play in creating more confusion and frustration in situations like this than they need to because it seems as though Garrett Marino got off a little bit here easier than he likely should have and the reasoning for that being the players association if they came down with something that was really severe was going to appeal was going to make a mess of this and it's because they're doing their job but in this case it's like you don't have to do your job I think is a lot of people's opinions yeah that's it's so tough right because exactly like you said they they support both guys, they support Jeremiah, they support Marino. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the best way I can put it is a union is a union, no matter what it is. You hear about these people that work regular jobs and you hear, you know, somebody's not doing their job correctly. Well, they can't get fired yep. because this union is going to protect them. That's the job of the union. That is their number one role is protect the people in this union. That's what the PA has to do. I think they're handcuffed in the sense of we have to protect. It's like a defense lawyer. We have to protect this person. We have to get the least penalized, least penalty we can against Marino because 
it's one of our guys and we have to get him paid. That's the whole goal of the PA, right? Now, that this is where smarter heads prevail because I think the way you look at a situation like this, somebody can be like, you know what? This guy, this guy does not deserve an easy way off, right? The shit he pulled, what he said, the half-assed apology, all that kind of shit. The half-assed apology. It's, there's a way to play this game. And, I, and I, I read it's like, yeah, I'm just a physical player and I play on the edge. No, f- that you know what i mean there is a way to play this game on the edge being physical without being dirty okay sometimes low hits happen i get it hard as a d lineman but when you know you've really hurt somebody and when you know the the shit you were saying you don't do you don't do that celebration you don't do the half-assed apology you don't you don't say i play on the edge no there's everybody plays on an edge so i think this with the pa and the cfl Cooler heads have to prevail in the sense where the PA says, okay, listen, we can't completely sewer this guy because it's got to be a learning experience. We have to protect him. He needs to get paid. He's part of our association, right? That part where the discipline happens, that's on the CFL. That's on the team. That's on the Rough Riders. But what we can do is I won't push back as much with if the CFL wants to give four, five, six games suspension, Mm -hmm. right? But you're right. If that did happen, then how the hell does it only get four games? And you know the, what I, I mean? Yeah, and I think the frustrating part from a communications perspective for me is that it's been sold to the public because they're trying to appease those in Rider Nation, the most passionate, the largest fan base in Canada, which with revenue sharing being what it is, they're very important to the overall health of the league. But then it's like you're trying to appease them by saying – uh, you know, it's we, we've given him a large suspension, but it's really a bunch of suspensions stacked on top of each other, right? It, so for the hit itself, it's two games. You kidding me? Like, it, like last year, John Murphy at the end of the Eastern Final was caught on camera saying derogatory things to a fan, suspended mm-hmm. indefinitely, not in the league at all this year. And you have confirmation based on the investigation and based on the interviews and everything that the CFL has done. And Marino himself. And he admitted, yes, in his apology, I don't even think he wrote anything. I think he said, can you put something together for me? And somebody went and wrote and tweeted it out and said, this is from Garrett Marino. Yeah. But in all of that, it's an admission of guilt. Yeah. And so you have that and he gets one game for admission of guilt of saying something when you have somebody who's in, in the executive part of the league who gets indefinitely suspended for the year. No, I get it. Murphy was swinging at people and it was on, it just looked horrific. But didn't the Marino thing look horrific? Like, yeah. Like the whole and thing. Not did. even just that. You, you hit this diversity as strength campaign and yeah. all this kind of shit. And then it's a, oh, okay, exactly what we are trying to get away from. And what are we? We are launching this diversity as strength campaign to stop this kind of hate. And now you get that in a season and it's, oh, how could you? How dare you? One game. It's like, okay, what are we talking about here? Yeah. yeah. It's like one game and for it's, that? It was, and this is another thing that crossed my mind that I'm just like, I don't feel the need to tweet this stuff out consistently because it's just going to cause a mess. But again, for the listening audience here, because this is why you come to this podcast, because this is where we have the good stuff, is um, it seemed like various parts of 
Regina Ryder fandom, the organization took their turn showing their ass throughout the entire week. Like whether it was the Riders taking five days to put out a half-ass apology that obviously wasn't written by Garrett Marino, whether it was Craig Dickinson referencing his fiance as if that means a damn thing, which it does not. Uh, James Wilder Jr. tweeting out that, hey, congrats if you have a black friend, this ain't no club. You don't just get to hop in because you have a membership card. Like that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic whatsoever. And it should not Mm -hmm. be referenced and it does not hold any weight for or against. It just, it's irrelevant. It does not matter. And then you have a local radio host in Saskatchewan essentially defending uh, Garrett Marino's actions from the jump. Well, I wonder why, because he's paid by the organization to call football games. He's on the rights holder, which I know I've been part of a rights holder of a CFL team. We had pressure put on us by the Hamilton Tiger Cats in certain situations. The one that we got away with the most of speaking our minds was Art Bryles. Because mm-hmm. I said, that. I am not supporting anything to do with this. And the Ticats as an organization were under so much global heat for that move that yeah. they were they didn't even give a damn that I that I said anything negative about them. I killed them on their on their platform for multiple days. Never heard about it because they knew I was in the right, just like most of the people in the organization knew that was a wrong thing to do. But like if you wonder why I stopped going on Regina Radio. Uh, when a certain former radio host out in Saskatchewan said that Simone Lawrence was a thuggish type, that's why. If you wonder why I went on that same radio station when Derek Taylor of CF Perspective was there, it's because he's a good dude, because he knows his stuff, he's a good person. If you wonder why I stopped going on that radio station again when Derek Taylor left that radio station, now you know why. Like, because there's a certain trend that has developed. There is a culture of the way these things are discussed that bothers me greatly. Uh, Not, I'm not slandering that entire part of the country. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when there's multiple major parts of that dynamic around that team that are discussing things in a way that I'm uncomfortable with, I distance myself. I don't want to be a part of any of it. Yeah. And Man, that's a tough part, right? Because, you know, people aren't going to stick up for what they believe in in that situation. They're just going to talk about whatever keeps them safe, which I get it. It's a coping mechanism. I mean, I don't get it, but uh, it's a coping mechanism for their job. But listen, I'll I'll leave it on this because, you know, I hate I hate getting serious like this, but I I, it has to be done because Mazzoli's a a good buddy of mine. Yeah, You know, I mean, really good buddy of mine. I felt horrible for what happened. And there's things that are always said on the field in competition, always said on the field. There's, you know, some pretty bad shit that's always said on the field, but people generally don't cross that line. And if they do cross that line, it's just in, you know, passing and talking and, and, you know, seeing people beat back and forth. The problem is, is when you're a repeat offender, it happened allegedly before a game and was premeditated in that sense, in that sense. Mm -hmm. And then it happens in the game and there is absolutely no remorse at the time, anytime after, and even anytime now, and you understand the severity that it did to Mazzoli. There's no room for that. There's room for competition, beaking at each other, saying things, getting people's skin. Absolutely room for that. Trash talk is part of sport, but that ain't trash talk. No, it's, it's way, way, way past it at that point. So, that would be my last say on this. Yeah, it's but, great. It's it's yeah. great. It's honest. Like, um, yeah, it's and, ridiculous. And I think my final thing would be the same as you in terms of just like Masoli deserves better. 
Uh, and I would say this about Garrett Marino, because he's the topic of conversation and he will be in every CFL game that you're watching and every beer that you're having at every CFL stadium across the next couple of weeks is that that dude now has a target on his back for the rest of his CFL career from a variety of people, whether they like him, don't like him, know him, don't know him, play with Masoli, don't know Masoli, who cares? He's put a target on himself because of the way he has played and the way that he is. To, and it's only going to get worse if he decides to try and lash out and stay to be the same person that he is. The second thing is, and as a league broadcaster, I probably shouldn't say this, but I really don't care because this is how I feel. I hope every stadium that guy goes into, any play he makes, he gets the shit boot out of him. I hope that it is a league-wide, he makes a tackle in Hamilton, in Calgary, in Winnipeg, in BC, and every fan that's educated enough is like, boo this man. (laughs) because <laughs> I think that would be amazing to just kind of feel that. But anyways, uh, we ended kind of heavy. We will uh, have brighter days ahead, my friends. That is we it. will, absolutely. That is it for the Daily News today. Thanks for tuning in. Always appreciate it. At CF Perspectives, where you can find us at Daily News 8. I am at TSN underscore Marsh. We will talk to you coming up next week right here on the Daily News.